It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by Flint composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get through it. A social distancing tip. While the CDC urges you to avoid close contact, like hugging or shaking hands, there are other non-physical ways to say hello. Wave, wink, use sign language, salute, smile, give the peace sign, throw up an air high five, do jazz hands. Remember, stay a minimum of six feet or two arms length away from others and stay home if you can. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner. we got a great one in store today. Uh, coming up in the third half of our three-hour tour, uh, we're going to talk with uh, the author of a new book called Always Italy. Um, National Geographic reached out to Francis Mays to put together this uh, book that's... Um, just incredible everything you ever wanted to know about Italy and then some um, from Francis Mays who was the author of Under the Tuscan Sun that that book of hers uh, um, based on her love of uh, or inspired by her love of Italy became a movie with Diane Lane and uh, we're gonna we're gonna be talking with her coming up in uh, just a little while uh, in the second hour of our three-hour tour, we're going to feature um, a self-described entrepreneur-aholic, um, author uh, Carlton Scott Andrew, uh, who goes by Scott. We'll be talking about his book, The Rugged Entrepreneur, What Every Disruptive Business Leader Should Know. That should be interesting. But uh, we're going to start out this hour with a very interesting conversation about Ida B. Wells, Her Extraordinary Life and Legacy. That's the name of a new book that's uh, a biography, but a little different, with uh, a kind of an insider's look. It's written by uh, Michelle Duster, who is the great-granddaughter of Ida B. The book is called Ida B. the Queen, by the way. Um, and if you don't know who Ida B. Wells was, she was a journalist, suffragette, and social justice crusader in the late 1800s and early 1900s. Um, it's a fascinating conversation coming up. And uh, also this hour, uh, we're going to take a, um, 
Well, we're going to listen to just a few little sound bites from last night's State of the State message here in Michigan from Governor Gretchen Whitmer. We might even squeeze in a little fun stuff that came up during the last year or so that's Governor Whitmer related. Um, but that's that's all coming up just ahead. I think we've got a couple of minutes, so I think we'll uh, we'll squeeze in um, a, a little bit of music before we go to my conversation with Michelle Duster, the author of Ida B. The Queen. One thing about this world you can't depend on anything The leaders that we follow, they can't even write their name But here we are in America, ain't it just a shame how it goes on and on Our children going hungry, teens are turning to crime And politicians know it's true, but they ain't got no time down in America, nothing seems to change, it just goes on and on and on. But there may be people who truly do care, they may be mighty, but still they lack the key. I pray that someday these people will finally declare, not even heroes can do it all. you think when you see women being beaten and how's it make you feel to know the one you love is cheating well, that's the life in america someone stop the train you can't go on and on Ooh, and where's the constitution when you need it to refer the things that are unlawful have the papers all been burned yeah that's the life in america should i still remain just go on and on and on Now there may be people who truly do care Maybe mighty but still they lack the team I pray that someday this world will finally declare Not even heroes can do it all
welcome back, everybody. Uh, this is the Tom Sumner program. My guest this hour has uh, just just completed a book. Um, this is a fascinating book that looks at the uh, inspiring life of journalist, suffragette, and social justice crusader Ida B. Wells. The book is uh, called Ida B. the Queen, written by her great-granddaughter, Michelle Duster, who joins me by phone. Michelle, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Tom. Um, Michelle, uh, I'm not sure exactly how to ask this, but I'm curious about the title. Um, how did Ida B. Wells become Ida B. the Queen? Well, during her lifetime, uh, there were a couple of occasions when she was referred to, not as Ida B. the Queen, but she was referred to... Um, as, as a queen, um, there was a poem that was written by Betsy Ola Fortson called Queen of Her Race that was about Ida B. Wells. Um, and there was another incident where she was compared to Queen Esther um, in 1894. So during her lifetime, she was uh, kind of referred to in that way. Um, Michelle, do you have a, a volume control at your end? Yes, is it too loud or is not or it's, lo- it's, not loud enough? No, it's it's a little too loud. It's it's coming through. Okay, little, I can just talk low. I can talk lower. Okay, it's it's coming through a little distorted. That's all. Um, but how did um, you know? In many ways, you've your own career has somewhat mirrored or followed uh, at, at least the the early beginnings by your great grandmother um was she someone you were aware of all of your life yes i knew who my great grandmother was um my entire life and i was always interested in communications i was always interested in writing and i just chose to follow my own uh interest without necessarily thinking I'm going to follow in my great-grandmother's footsteps. In fact, I actually tried not to um, because I knew I would never be having never-ending comparison to her. So I tried as hard as I could to do something else, but I guess just my makeup, the kind of things I'm interested in, uh, led, me to, <laughs> led me to have some similarity. And she had... Um... She had some pretty strong allies during her lifetime. Frederick Douglass, uh, W.E.B. Du Bois, uh, Harriet Tubman, and and those are just some of the high-profile people. She was a journalist at a time when I think a lot of people aren't even aware that there were places for black journalists and writers to practice their craft right well um shortly after reconstruction or during reconstruction i mean there was a lot of progress for uh, black people and at the time that my great-grandmother was alive or when she started her career there were over 200 uh black owned newspapers some of them were very small but still there was a um just a proliferation and an enthusiasm about telling our own story and I think the fact that people don't know that um, says something about our education system in our country right now. I mean, there's so many things that were uh, achieved by black people that are not in the history books, and hopefully that will change. 
Well, yeah, not not just in terms of uh, of journalism, but entrepreneurs and and uh, business people and inventors. I mean, there was there was a real renaissance for a short period of time. That right, and that's one of the things that was um, included in the pamphlet that my great grandmother Ida B. Wells edited. Um, and distributed at the, the World's Fair in 1893. Irvine Garland Penn, Frederick Douglass, uh, Ferdinand Barnett, and my great-grandmother wrote, wrote um, pieces for that. And Irvine Garland Penn's section was about the progress that uh, African Americans had made in the 30 years um, after the Civil War had ended. So that was the whole purpose, was to help people understand what was left out of the World's Fair. And you know, we were you were telling me just now that there were two hundred black newspapers, or approximately two hundred black newspapers, uh, during that period of time. And and this would have been when late eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds. Yes. Did any of those papers survive until today? It, it's there's there's more to it than just a faulty. Uh, uh, or lack of inclusion by our education system, but but why aren't some of those still around today? I I don't know the history of all of the different newspapers. I well, mean, yeah. some of them I'm, did some of them did survive for quite a while, um, or there were other newspapers that were uh, created after that time period. For instance, the Chicago Defender. Um, was, uh, I think it was founded in 1915, and it's still going today. So that was a little bit after my great-grandmother's time, but still um, within that sort of time frame. Um, and there are a few other newspapers that were like in um, Los Angeles area um, and some other areas that I think there's one in the Oklahoma area that lasted quite a while. So there are a few. Um, and then the Amsterdam News in New York City, I mean, I don't know exactly when it was founded, but it's still around today. So there are several newspapers that have lasted several decades. You've written other things that have included some of uh, uh, Ida's writing. Um, but what what made you want to write this this full biography? And 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 what information were you able to? to use, to draw on, to, to put it all together? Well, when I was working on Ida Be the Queen, um, there, uh, one of the things that I found that I hadn't seen before were the FBI files um, that were created. And I, and I don't think I saw all of them, but I saw quite a few. And that was very interesting to me. Not only did, was there a file on Ida, but there was also one on Ferdinand as well, her husband. Um, so that was fascinating to me that I come from a family that was surveilled by the government. <laughs> um, and, I mean, I had already done quite a bit of research when it came to her original writings, Ida's original writings with her pamphlets, a lot of her newspaper articles. I created an entire book that um, included the articles that she wrote when she was on her um, speaking tour in England in 1894. So... Over the years, I had collected quite a bit of information about her. More with author Michelle Duster straight ahead.
Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-Double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Wearing a mask helps prevent the spread of COVID-19. Wear your mask correctly. Wash your hands with soap and water for at least 20 seconds before putting on your mask. Holding the ear loops or ties, make sure the mask covers your nose and mouth and secure it around your chin. Try to fit it snugly against the sides of your face. Make sure you can breathe easily and keep the mask on the entire time you're in public. To learn more, visit cdc.gov coronavirus. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. The Tom Sumner program.com.
Tom Sumner Program.com. This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More with author Michelle Duster straight ahead. You know, you mentioned the FBI, and I found that fascinating as well, that as early as 1919, the FBI um, had had sent a letter to discourage Ida's inclusion in the Paris Peace Conference. And I, I I was really surprised by that, Michelle, because my understanding of the FBI has always been that in the early days of the FBI, their their primary focus or mission was on white collar crime. Well, um, <laughs> I, 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 I just didn't, I, coach- I, I I don't I don't mean to be naive, Michelle, but um, I've always had an impression that that the FBI didn't get actively involved in surveillance of of people like your great grandmother until much later. I, I guess that's my point. Right. Well, the impression that I got was that during World War One, uh, there was quite a bit of surveillance of citizens when it came to, you know, this idea of being patriots and not speaking out against the war. So I'm sure she was not the only one who, uh, you know, was uh, viewed in that way as, as a potential threat to what this country was supposed to be about. And and interesting that they make such a point of her um, advocating on behalf of, as they would say back then, colored people. Right. Um, well, I mean, when you, when you kind of read through uh, some of the comments and just have some perspective of how... Uh, Black people were viewed at that time, and the efforts that were made to undo some of the progress that had been made before um, Woodrow Wilson's uh, presidency, in particular. I mean, he did, he made he gave a lot of effort to um, kind of putting things backwards, <laughs> um, you know, resegregating the federal government, um, and and he even um, screened birth of a nation at the White House. So. He, uh, you know, definitely seemed to have some vested interest in dismantling some of the progress that black people had made up until that time. And and that seems so contrary to other positions he'd taken about, um, you know, reaching out and, and um, making connections between the United States and other countries around the world. Um that almost seems out of character. Did you get any sense for where that was coming from with regard to to President Wilson? I mean, the only thing that I could think is that he seemed to be kind of feeding into uh, a lot of his supporters, and he also seemed to believe, you know, some some of that, um, that that there should be separation and segregation between the uh, between the races at that time. So even even back then, politicians uh, bowed to some populist view. 
Yes, it seems like that was the case. <laughs> I was being a little tongue-in-cheek there, Michelle. <laughs> <laughs> like we haven't seen it before and since. Um, what what struck you most about the life of Ida B. Wells? I mean, for me, one of the things that I found the most fascinating and the most inspiring, I, I mean, obviously she had an enormous number of accomplishments. Um, but for me, what struck me was how she had a business acumen and she really seemed to understand how economics uh, yielded power. And so, for instance, I mean, she uh, encouraged a boycott of white-owned businesses and the streetcar company in Memphis after her friends were lynched. And so she realized that even though black people don't have um, a lot of political power, uh, maybe don't own as much as some other people, but we are consumers. And so we can yield our power that way by withdrawing um, our support as consumers. And she even advocated for England to boycott U.S. cotton. So she understood economics um, and, and realized that sometimes that was the way to get attention because you can't really appeal to a moral consciousness um, in some situations. And then when she um, found ways to get some of her projects funded, I mean, she self-published almost all of her uh, publications and she raised the money through basically crowdfunding. So, I mean, in so many situations, she was really, really savvy when it came to business. And way ahead of her time. This was not something that women typically could take up. She was unusual in that regard. Yes. I mean, she was definitely one of the few, um, but she was definitely not the only during her time. I mean, I think, and this is another thing, I, I really feel that um, hopefully, you know, this book, I to Be the Queen, will help people realize how much of our history is not being told and has not been, been included in sort of the larger uh, context of our, of our history and will propel our country as a whole to, to, to tell a more complete story of who contributed to this country. Where were you able to uh, pull together um, information to, to tie this all together? I, I'm sure there, you had a lot of um, her writings to go by, but did she keep a journal? Were there other references to her in, in some history books? Yes, there are several biographies that have been written about her, as well as she wrote her own autobiography. Um, she also kept a diary from 1885 to 1887, which has been published. And so, and then, of course, there are numerous articles that have been written about her. So um, at this point, there's a decent amount of information available about her that uh, it, I can draw from, as well as archival information. Were you able to get inside her head a little bit and figure out where she got the motivation to take up the the pursuits and causes that she did? How did that start for her, do you know? And I'm not trying to put you on the spot, Michelle. I just wonder if you got any insight into if there was a turning point or 
something about her in particular, her character, her her vision of what how people should be? I mean, I could only guess by you know sort of by the information that I do know about not only her but her uh, father in particular. She wrote more about her father than her mother. Um, as far as his activities, and he was her, her father, James Wells was um, a carpenter, and he was involved in politics and political activity uh, shortly after the Civil War. So, uh, from what I understand, there were political meetings that took place at their house, um, and he he would go to different meetings, and he took advantage of the right to vote, which was right after Reconstruction. And so she grew up in an environment that was very politically and civically engaged. And she also watched the, the rights of uh, black people, black men in particular, be um, dismantled. And so I think, and I just surmise, you know, that growing up in an environment where there was a lot of progress and a lot of hope of what the possibilities were, and only to have those rescinded as time went on probably gave her a sense of indignation. Um, and then, I mean, part of it could just be her character as far as how she reacted to specifically the uh, lynching of her friends because she had a voice. She had a platform at that time. She was already writing for the newspaper, and so she decided to use her voice to uh, call out the, the system for what it was and encourage people to use the power that they did have to make an impact. And, and she did public speaking and, um, and, and writing obviously because of, of her journalism and so on. Um, you know, when you talk about her father and her coming from that environment, did that, did that sort of, um, community engagement and political uh, activism, did that make its way down through the generations to you, or are you, have you picked up her mantle? I think in my family, the there have been values that have been passed down every generation um, as far as believing that our voices are important, uh, standing up for our rights and speaking out. Um, education has been highly um, encouraged as, as, a, as a tool to make sure that we have as many qualifications as possible um, and to also believe that we deserve the best, that we deserve everything this country has to offer. Um, and that definitely, I think, not only did it come from Ida, but I think it came from Ida's parents. So it goes back several generations as far as, um, yeah, I mean, just, just believing that, that we are citizens of this country and we deserve to have life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness just like everybody else. Was there a lot of pushback against uh, Ida? Um, she had plenty of enemies. Ida B. Wells, my great-grandmother, had plenty of enemies, um, plenty of people that criticized her, um, <clears throat> you know, as far as calling her all kinds of names. <laughs> um, there were people who tried to disparage her reputation, um, and she, you know, sometimes, you know, pushed back against them, and I, I guess it sometimes just decided to ignore it. So, uh, 
yeah, I don't, I don't think that she just kind of did the work that she did without any, without ruffling any feathers at all. I mean, she, she definitely did. Well, yeah, she was uh, referred to, um, we mentioned she was being surveilled by the FBI, and she was referred to as uh, one of the most dangerous Negro agitators. Those are yeah. pretty, str those <laughs> are pretty I, strong I, words from the FBI. Yes, and I think it's so ironic, um, considering at that time when they wrote that her age, I mean, she was in her... Um, late 50s and so for them to consider a woman <laughs> um, of her age you know to be so dangerous and then also what's ironic to me is her her physical stature um, she was around five feet tall so <laughs> to me this is so funny you know that that this older small small framed woman was considered so dangerous <laughs> a, 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 a little black woman was uh one of the most dangerous Negro agitators, and and at her age, that's that's fascinating. the The title of the book is um, "I uh, Ida Be the Queen: Her Extraordinary Life and Legacy." Um, we've talked a little bit about what made her extraordinary, but what do you think her legacy is? I think the legacy of my great grandmother is actually multidimensional. Um, I think she has a legacy in journalism, of uh, data journalism, and using journalism as a form of activism, as a form of um, holding people, this, the government and different institutions accountable. Um, she has a legacy in uh, the suffrage movement. She was, she was a leader in the suffrage movement. And so I think she has a legacy when it comes to uh, political engagement, and um, using politics and using your voice as a, a, as a voter to make an impact, uh, to hold political appointees and political uh, elected officials accountable. Um, she also was a um, trailblazer in social work. Um, people don't think about her that way, but she uh, founded the Negro Fellowship League, which provided housing and job uh, placement for southern migrants. And so... Um, that's another legacy of hers because she was a trailblazer in that way. Um, and then just as far as advocating for the marginalized and the um, oppressed, um, I think that's another legacy of hers. She was a founder of the NAACP. Um, so that organization is still uh, very relevant today. So that's another legacy of hers. And... Uh when you refer to her as a suffragette, that was right around the time when when women first got the right to vote. I mean, that, that came during her lifetime. Um, did uh, suffrage for women come before blacks were allowed to vote? Well, technically the 19th Amendment in 1920 gave women the right to vote. Um, but what happened was that in several states, there were barriers put in place that made it very difficult for black people um, to vote in those particular areas. So it wasn't like it was considered, quote, illegal to vote, but there were just barriers that were put in place that made it very, very difficult uh, for people to, to exercise the right that they really did have. With all of the... 
recent attention um, given to the shooting of black men by police officers and and other related systemic race uh, issues that have been brought to bear by Black Lives Matter and and other groups. Um, How much has changed since the days of Ida B. Wells, do you think? Well, I mean, I know the easy answer, Michelle, is not enough, (laughs) but um, but but have have things changed significantly because of the work of your great grandmother and others? And and how is it that we're still not farther along? Well, I think, Tom, that things have changed to some extent as far as. I mean, during my great-grandmother's time, uh, lynchings were, became public spectacles where that some of them drew as many as 10,000 people um, to a crowd like it was a sporting event to watch a, a black person be killed. In public, it was um, you know, encouraged by newspapers at the time that, that sort of run, ran ads about you know, a lynching. Um, trains gave special for people to go to these lynchings. I mean, so there was a lot of complicity in multiple areas that made it, um, you know, I guess fine for, for black people to be killed in public by a mob. And so you don't see that today. Um, but I think the similarities is that some of the uh, people who committed the lynchings during my great-grandmother's time, and she commented on this, were part of the legal um, profession. They were the judges, the lawyers, um, sometimes even the sheriff. And so that's where there's a similarity today where you do have law enforcement uh, uh, people who are actually killing uh, black people, not necessarily in a, in a advertised, you know, a spectacle, but still this idea that people who are supposed to be uh, serving and protecting us, uh, the community, are sometimes the ones that are committing the crimes. Ida won a uh, posthumous Pulitzer Prize uh, fairly recently. How did that come about, Michelle? I cannot answer that question. I don't know what goes into the Pulitzer Prize board um, as far as how people are considered or nominated or, you know, voted on. I just know that I was contacted, um, you know, to be informed about the fact that she that she had won um, to an extent. I mean, I was told to listen, and so I heard about it the day that it was announced. And and what exactly was the nature of the Pulitzer Prize? Was it for? Um, lifetime achievement or was it uh, about something she had written no what it said was that she was for her outstanding and courageous reporting on the horrific and vicious violence against African Americans during the era of lynching okay gotcha that's that's huge right and from what I understand it wasn't one piece that she wrote it was the overall body of work that she uh, generated regarding lynching. That's that's amazing and and obviously well deserved. 
Um, something I always want to do, Michelle, is, and I really appreciate you sharing some of this story with uh, me and the listeners today, but um, I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more, not just about um, your uh, great-grandmother, but but about you and your work, past, present, and future. Um, Michelle, do you have a website? I do. My website is mldwrites, W-R-I-T-E-S, dot com. Um, and and uh, what's next, Michelle, for you? I mean, this, well, this I'm... took. Some, I'm sure this took some time <laughs> to get this book together and out. Yes. Um, and I actually have um, two children's picture books that will be released next year, 2022. Um, and I'm working on another children's book and a couple of public history projects that um, celebrate uh, not only my great-grandmother but other trailblazing women. One is a mural uh, and then a couple of um, statues and other monuments around the country that I'm involved in, in helping to make happen. <laughs> Well, good for you, Michelle, and and um, again, thank you so much for sharing this uh, this story with us today. And and best of luck with the book and everything else that you do. Well, thank you, Tom, and hopefully people will be uh, inspired by Ida Be the Queen. <laughs> All right. Well, take care. Thanks again. All right. Bye. Thank you. That was uh, Michelle Duster. She is the uh, great-granddaughter of Ida B. Wells and the author of a new biography called Ida B. the Queen. Michelle is a writer, speaker, professor, and champion of racial and gender equality. In the last uh, dozen years or so, she has written, edited, or contributed to 11 books um, and and. And much more. She writes children's books and does all kinds of things. Anyway, we're going to take a short break, but we will be back with more of the Tom Sumner program. Yeah. 
TomSumnerProgram.com. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. If you are sick with COVID-19 or think you might have it, take steps to help protect other people from getting sick. Stay home except to get medical care. Call the doctor before visiting. Separate yourself from others who live with you. Wear a mask to protect others. Cover your coughs and sneezes with a tissue and clean your hands right away. Avoid sharing items with other people in your home. This includes things like towels and bedding. Be sure dishes are washed in hot water or the dishwasher before anyone else uses them. Stay aware of how you feel. If you start to have difficulty breathing or if you are worried about your health, call your doctor. For more tips, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom. Most of the music you hear on the Tom Sumner program is provided by local artists. Tune in Fridays for live music and conversation with some of the area's most talented singers, songwriters, and performers. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zondrick. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. Hey, this is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. The Tom Sumner Program, celebrating the rich talent pool from Flint, Genesee County, and throughout Michigan. common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean, to wash them regularly and always before meals with Life Boy, which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself. Always use Life Boy for hands and face as well as the bath. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses. And where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County. Where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at Michigan.org. TomSumnerProgram.com 
the Tom Sumner Program.com. First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I have to lay low for a while, so I'll be staying here inside. It's too dangerous out in the world. I'll see you on the other side. I'm in my quarantine In my little place too high My heart is aching and I'm missing you I'll see you on the other side I'll see you on the other side I'll see you on the other side We're all in for a bumpy ride everybody this is the tom sumner program we have uh, a little bit of time before we get into our uh, next uh, featured interview with the uh, author of the rugged entrepreneur he is a self-described entrepreneur aholic named carlton scott andrew he'll be joining me by phone but i did mention at the top of the show that i would try to squeeze in this hour a few uh, sound bites from uh, Michigan Governor uh, Gretchen Whitmer's uh, State of the State message that she delivered last evening uh, on television and Zoom and so on. And um, and we're going to sneak in a couple other little goodies. We're going to have uh, Cicely Strong's characterization of uh, Governor Whitmer as well. But uh, first we'll hear a, a few little bits of uh, what she had to say last night. And uh, also coming up on the uh, show today, I'll be talking with, um, oh, this is a fun conversation with Frances Mays. She wrote Under the Tuscan Sun, which became the the movie with Diane Lane. But she's uh, teamed up with National Geographic for a uh, a really stunning uh, 
opportunity to maybe get away from um, from it all with a book on your couch called Always Italy. And it has all kinds of fun little uh, stuff. Anyway, we'll be back. The 49th governor of the great state of Michigan, Governor Gretchen Whitmer. The state of our state is resilient. Let's make good use of this non-election year and work together. After all, we're Michiganders first. Now, I know you're used to me saying, fix the damn roads. This year, let's also fix the damn road ahead. This process is like a locomotive. It'll be cumbersome and slow in the beginning, but it will get faster and smoother as we go. I just ask for patience as our frontline workers work around the clock to get shots in arms. One of my top priorities this year is growing more great jobs for Michigan workers. Today, I'm announcing Michigan Back to Work, my plan to help us grow our economy and get Michiganders back on their feet. We still have a lot of work to do to join forces to end the pandemic and grow our economy. And yet we know the deep divisions in our country are present here in Michigan too. This year, I will launch the Fixing the Damn Road Ahead tour to engage with and listen to Michiganders, young and old, Republicans, Democrats, and independents, from Lake Superior to Lake Michigan to Lake Huron to Lake Erie and everywhere in between, to focus on what unites us, improve how we talk to each other, and together we'll fix the damn road ahead. My mission is to find common ground so we can emerge from this crisis stronger than ever. When we rang in the new year on January 1st, 2020, we had high hopes. We made resolutions, planned trips, in my case, a high school graduation, with our families and friends. It's easy to look back on this last year and focus on the bad, but we cannot forget the action we took to protect ourselves and our families. To those of you who stepped up and did your part, who listened to medical experts, stay home, wore a mask, helped out a neighbor, and practiced social distancing, your action saved lives. Your action ensured more Michiganders will be able to spend Thanksgiving and Christmas 2021 with their loved ones. On behalf of the entire state of Michigan, Thank you. Now, to the legislative leaders tuning in. Our job now is to fix the damn road ahead, together. Let's commit to the strong, bipartisan action we took last year and focus that same energy to end the pandemic, grow our economy, and get our kids back on track. The people of Michigan are counting on us. Here's to an Annis Mirabilis. A great year. Let's get it done. Hey there. I'm Michigan Governor Gretchen Wetmer. Might surprise you to be hearing from me, some smoke show Midwestern governor nobody heard about till a couple weeks ago. But governors are kind of having a moment right now. And while other govs get cool nicknames like Daddy Cuomo and Gavin Choke Me King Newsome. Trump refers to me as that woman from Michigan. 
But I'm not offended because I am proud to be from Michigan. And that woman is also what Trump calls his wife. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I'm nursing all the bats because even though most frickin' governors are laying down restrictions because of the virus, mine are somehow too far. Now, you may have heard about the protesters that gathered in the streets of our capital for Ted Nugent cosplay last week. Look, people, it's live free or die, not live free and die. And Trump advisor Stephen Moore is comparing these protesters to Rosa Parks. Yeah. If Rosa Parks was fighting for her right to get hit by a bus. Sorry, that's a little bad talking. But I support all Americans and Michiganders' freedom of speech. So if you got to protest, here are some tips on how to do it safely. Number one, stay home. I promise you can call me a bitch from the safety of your couch. It's called Twitter. So if you must head outside, maintain proper social distancing. That means six feet apart at all times. So if the tip of your AK-47 can touch the tip of your buddy's AK, back up. And please, wear face masks, but not a joker mask. And, and not a clown mask, and abs absolutely no masks that come with the hood. Now, like you, I have heard the rumors that I'm on the short list to be Joe Biden's vice president, the VP's VP. Because if it's going to be a woman, it might as well be that woman. But my sole priority is my home state, because we're not out of the woods. We never will be. We live in Michigan. And to anyone that stands in the way of the health and safety of my constituents, I'll remind you, the Michigan is a mitten, right? And this, this is where I live. Oh, dang it, they're throwing dog crap at my door. Knock it off! I'll throw it back! I did it last time, too! You know I will!
pilots, get off of my lawn. We're trying to do a radio show down here. It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on. Go on, get out of here. It's time for the Tom Sumner 